Mean O'Lion Media present Black Arm of the Law. Welcome to Black Arm of the Law podcast. I am your host, Dr. Rochelle Brackney, also known as Chief B. Each week, I'll be examining the most pressing legal issues of our time and their unique impact on black and brown bodies. So settle in and don't forget to subscribe, rate, follow, and comment where you get your favorite podcasts. You can also follow me at Chief B, CVLPD. So let's jump into this. Today, we are broadcasting from the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives Annual 47th Conference in Cleveland. Welcome, shout out. And two of my guests today need no introduction, but the reason they are on, they are both asking for your votes as the second vice president. That means they will ascend to the leadership of Noble in two years. So can you please welcome my guest, Major Kevin Granville and the retired chief of police, Renee Law. Thank you so much. Can we, um, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna jump into this because this is a candidates forum. The first of its kind that we've done here in Noble as a live podcast. Um, I'm excited to have both of you here as my guest. So if we can start in, I'm gonna take some privilege here and do a ladies first. Absolutely. Chief Hall, can you briefly tell us a little bit about yourself? So uh, my name is Renee Hall. I am uh, the former police chief in the city of Dallas. I'm also retired deputy chief from the city of Detroit. Uh, currently I am living in DC. I have my own consulting company, Law Enforcement Consulting, where I work uh, assessing police departments and ensuring that they are at 21st century best practices. I've also recently launched uh, Police for America. It is a the West Point of, of training for policing, and we are currently looking for contracts at various police departments. I am a senior fellow at Harvard University, uh, where I am in the Advanced Leadership Initiative, and I also write for the Harvard Business School Social Impact Journal. And I'm saying all of that to you because although I've retired from policing, I have not left law enforcement. I am consistently working to better law enforcement. I am continuing to be a relevant individual in the fight for justice and to ensure that police departments uh, have great communication and relationships with uh, our communities of African-American descent as well as our Latino descent. So uh, working every day to continue the, the plight that we have as African-Americans in law enforcement. And I am seeking the position of second vice president because what I have been able to garner from being the chief of police in the ninth largest city in America, as well as at Harvard University, is I have a wingspan from California to Maine, from Florida to Washington State. And my uh, advanced leadership initiative course uh, gave me a global reach because 16 of my cohort members are from 16 countries across America. So that allows us to be in multiple rooms that Noble is not in. It allows us to get in the conversation and knowing that Harvard University in this country makes all of the pertinent decisions. Uh, we have not been a part of the conversation as a black law enforcement uh, executive organization. And because I have access uh, and the relationships, I can get us into that room because we are in the fight of our lives. If we don't believe that the recent Supreme Court decision is going to affect law enforcement, then we are asleep at the wheel. And so I am vying for this position to be able to get us to the place that we need to be. And I'm also vying for this position because we're not just voting for where we are today. 
we're voting for where we're going in the future. And in the future, we need to have, we need to be equipped. And I believe I'm uniquely positioned for that fight with the acumen, with the credibility, with the relevancy in law enforcement. And I've done the work and led in this police agency in this country. So thank you very much. Thank you for that. Major Granville, speak to us, talk to us. My name is Kevin Granville. I am a recently retired major with the Broward County Sheriff's Office. Broward County Sheriff's Office is the third largest sheriff's office in the country. Uh, we have a annual budget of $1.2 billion. I retired as a regional major where my job was to oversee the uh, south end of Broward County. I am a graduate of the administrative office course in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and I'm asking for your vote so that we can continue to fight the fight that we need to um, and push this organization forward. Part of my platform, and I guess we'll get into that. Yes, we will get into your we'll platform. get into that a little later, but I'm asking for your vote for national uh, second vice president. Um, I've been a part of this organization since 2008, uh, but I think that's that's another question. So I'll just stop right there. Thank you. Thank you. You know what? There's nothing like police. Y'all know what to say. You know what the questions are going to be long before I ask them. So, Kevin, you can just build on that for us then. So why are you running now, like at this time, at this moment, and what uniquely positions you to lead Noble um, in the, over the next two years? So why am I running now? You know, there's no uh, better time like the present. I've been a member of this organization since 2008. And when I first came into the organization, three months uh, after joining, I stepped into a leadership role in the South Florida chapter. Uh, that chapter had a membership of 25 people. We now have a membership of 164 nationally paid members. We have a total roster of 186 members. Uh, I've served on the local chapter level as chapter president, where we won chapter of the year my first year. I served as a region three vice president, and then I've recently served as your national sergeant at arms uh, for three different terms. Uh, in addition to that, um, 15 years in Noble, 14 years of those uh, years have been 14 years of consecutive service without a break in service in a leadership capacity. So I think it uniquely positions me, you know, uh, to, to go on to the next level to become national uh, second vice president because of the things that I've seen and the things that I've been able to accomplish in each of those roles. Two of the things that, um, that were created under my watch along with the help of my team is we were able to create scholarships for associate members where they normally would not have the opportunity to attend a conference because most agencies are not going to send line personnel. So we created scholarships uh, where we paid for their registration for their flight as well as their lodging. That's just uh, some of the things that I was able to accomplish, uh, you know, during that time. Thank you so much. Chief Hall. So also, uh, I've been a member of Noble since 2008, and I've served on the local level as well as the national level in vice president roles and chaplain roles, treasurer roles, uh, special assistance to the national president, as well as elections and nomination. And, and that uniquely positions me because I've done the noble work. But the reason that I am uniquely positioned right now is because this country, law enforcement, African-Americans in this country are in the fight of their life. And I can tell you that if we don't have someone at the helm that's able to, to reach out and create those non-traditional partnerships to assist us in this fight, we are going to lose. 
at the end of the day, any army, any fight is that when you're at battle, you're only as strong as the resources that you have uh, available to you. And currently, Noble can't fight this alone. Just like Harvard couldn't fight it alone, University of North Carolina couldn't fight it alone, the universities in Michigan couldn't fight it alone. We need individuals like the NFL, activists in the NBA, all of our major leagues. We also need corporate sponsors. Uh, being at Harvard University, I realized that I had access to hedge funds and conversations that are where decisions are made. And Noble, like other African-Americans in this country, were not a part of that conversation. Now that I have access to the rooms, to the conversation, to pull Noble into that conversation to ensure that we have the support of these individuals who are making these key decisions in, in this country. This is the time, this is now. And if we don't prepare for today, in 2024, when a new president is coming in, we are going to be in trouble because if we don't believe that everything that we're seeing that's being taken away from African-Americans is coming to law enforcement, again, we are asleep at the wheel. I'm uniquely positioned, I have the relationships and I have the, the, the wingspan globally and nationally to ensure that Noble is a conversation, not just in the United States, but in this country as a whole, in this world as a whole. All right, so we're talking about the fight of our lives, and that is absolutely correct. In this profession, we are on the fight of our lives every single day. So Chief Palmer, just hand it back to you since that was a nice segue, and then Major, if you could follow up with that. If you are elected, what are your priorities or focus today? Like you hear about people on the campaign trails, they often say what their, their priorities and focus are. They get in the office though and change them. So let's hear about what your priorities and your focuses are going to be if you're elected to that position. So one of the first uh, priorities that, that we must have because the second vice president has specific roles and responsibilities and duties. And that is in the organization, you work alongside of committees. And we have committees like our Finance Committee, our Ways and Means Committee, our Constitution and Bylaws Committee, our Conference Site Committee. Um, we also have Youth Committee. So we have a lot of committees that need to do the work because the work that the committees do is going to ensure that the vision of the national president um, comes to fruition. So my first order of business is to sit down, listen, and hear what those uh, committees need. And because of my wingspan, be able to reach out and grab the resources that they need to put these conferences together. This doesn't come together by osmosis. In order for us to get what we need for conferences, what we need for CEO symposiums, what we need for our uh, chapters uh, around the country, as well as what we need for our individual members. As, and and um, Mr. Granville talked about scholarships. We need sponsorships. We need relationships. And that would be my, my role and responsibility is to reach out and get the committees what they need and then work alongside of the, the first vice president and the president because we have to have a strategic plan. We only serve for one year. And one year, we can't change the mission every year and think that we're going to accomplish something. So working alongside of two other chiefs who are like-minded, who understand what leading in law enforcement actually looks like, uh, and make sure that we are uh, planning a three-year strategic plan that I can follow up on what they're presenting. They can, and, and then the people who are coming behind me uh, will be able to follow up on our vision so that Noble has a continuous process. And so we're not starting over every time we get a new president in place. 
Thank you for that. All right, come on in here. Come on. Yeah, I have to agree with the uh, with the chief in reference to you know your first order of business as a national second vice president is to oversee those committees. Uh, I've spoken with the uh, the outgoing national second vice president in reference to some of the things that and, and things that he implemented while in that position. You know, how often did you meet with them? You know, and things of that nature. And I have a plan uh, to meet with uh, with those individuals myself on a regular basis. But I will tell you that. Once moving on to the, the seat of the uh, national president, my platform and my plan is, is dedicated to the growth of NOFA. When I came into the organization in 2008, at one point we had 60 chapters. Now we're down to 54. And I think it's time for us to, you know, take a look internally and analyze why did we go from 60 to 54 and how can we improve, um, you know, and continue to grow? Because yes, we can go out and get the sponsors and we can go out and get the partnerships but people are only going to want to invest in something that they know for a fact that is continuing to grow and that's going to be a winner. Now, we've heard at the conference that, you know, we reached about 4,500 members and that's great and, and, and that's commendable. We need to continue to grow that way, but we need to take a look at where is that growth taking place? Yes, we're growing in membership, but at the same time, we're losing chapters. And so part of that plan is to take a look at does the geographical footprint of where our chapters sit makes sense. You know, we have some some chapters that are very large where members are having to drive an hour and a half, an hour to get to a noble meeting. We need to take a look at that and see, can we place a chapter in that geographical area where we can now serve that area? Because if we have an area that's not being served, but there's possibility of room for growth, then we need to grow, we need to grow that, um, growing that way as well as creating a national recruiting video. You know, we talk about trying to attract young people to the organization. Why would someone at the uh, at line officer level want to join an organization, you know, that on the surface appears to be for executives? Well, when you look at your associate members and people that are coming into the organization, part of that growth is taking those same associate members and eventually turning them into regular so my platform is about the growth of Noble because we're getting ready to celebrate 50 years of Noble. I want to ensure that in the next 50 years, not only do my children, but your children have the opportunity to sit in these same seats and compete against each other and aspire to be the national president one day. And so part of that is to make sure that in the next 50 years that there is a Noble still stand. And, 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 uh, Kevin Granville, Major Granville, um, talked about the growth of Noble, and that's great. And I think that's a great platform. But the challenge with the growth of Noble is when you walk into certain rooms, nobody even has heard of Noble. No one, we, we are not a conversation. And when they ask you, well, what is Noble and what does Noble do? So while we're growing Noble, we have to make sure that we have um, the, 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 the partnerships and the relationships and the, the relativity um, and the relevance in law enforcement and what we do, that we are on the mouths and in the hearts and in the minds of these decision makers in this country. And so uh, we are growing. As we heard at our business meeting yesterday, we're over 4,000 members and we can continue to grow. But if we, we grow without resources, without individuals knowing who we are and without individuals supporting our platform, we're just a bunch of African-Americans coming together twice a year um, to, 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 to train one another and to have some parties uh, and nothing is going to change. You know what? Thank you for that, because I'm going to challenge us here, right? 
I talk about this all the time. I love coming to my Noble conferences. I've been involved in Noble since 19... But here's what I'm finding out. So not about I'm about to hurt some feelings up in here. Like many professional law enforcement agencies, though, we're aging out. We're retiring. We're going on to other things. We are doing um, this decline in recruitment, hiring, promotions, retentions, etc. And we're right. We are not the conversations when we walk in the room. There are a lot of people who have not heard of us. Then what is our strategy? How do we engage those new individuals who never even heard of Noble, who don't think that this is an organization that will benefit them, who are new to the profession? Um, how do we engage them in a real and meaningful way so that Noble is something that is just not data points? It's just num not numbers. I'm not interested in collecting new memberships just so we have money on the books. How do we engage people so they're active, they're engaged in the organization? If I may, um, so I was one of those individuals. And believe it or not, when I started with the Broad Sheriff's Office in 1992, it was a civilian and associate member that asked me, well, why aren't you a member of Noble? And at the time, you couldn't join because you had to be at least the rank of lieutenant. So it was a civilian that first introduced me to the organization. So as I progressed throughout my career and eventually became uh, a lieutenant, I then joined the organization. And I stand, uh, while I sit before you, as a product of the succession plan that my chapter had in place by encouraging me, you know, to continue to run for these different positions and not only just locally, but to seek a regional position, but to seek, you know, moving on to the national board. And I've been able to do that. I served on the national board for five years. And so I can tell you that in South Florida, we have a very aggressive plan in reference to reaching out to incoming officers and, and um, young, young officers that may already be in the uh, field but haven't heard of Noble. So one of the things that we do with the uh, command staff that we have in place, and I stress upon them when I was a chapter president and presidents behind me have, have also followed suit, is we stress upon the chiefs and the sheriffs and just the high-ranking people that when we're having local chapter meetings, it is critical, it is important that line officers see you sitting in that room so that they can reach out and touch you. I may be a deputy from the Broad Sheriff's Office, but if I can talk to and sit next to the chief from West Palm Beach, and in addition to that, get that person's cell phone number, get some contact information that we tell them all the time. When these people reach out to you, you've got to respond to these young officers. And we do that through the mentoring and everything else that we have in place, you know, to continue to attract them. So South Florida has a very aggressive um, plan when it comes to recruiting and having interest meeting and things of that nature. I will tell you that becoming a national second vice president and then eventually the national president, knowing the, the blueprint that we have and the success that we've seen, obviously share that so that other chapters around uh, Noble can continue to encourage and bring young people to the ball because eventually they are your next supervisors and your captains and police chiefs. We have a young lady by the name of Viola Judon. She showed up, you know, to a, a local chapter meeting as a uh, I believe she was the first, I know she's the first African-American female in her department, and she now is a captain with that police department. But that came through the mentoring and someone bringing her to the organization, and that's the type of stuff that we need to do 
So I'm going to just push you a little harder on this and then Chief Hall as well. Have you codified that blueprint? Is there somewhere that I can go to and you can share that? Because that's what we do a lot. We have these amazing ideas, and whether we like it or not, we come up with the ideas, and then someone who doesn't look like us codifies that idea, creates the blueprint, and next thing they know, they're the ones creating a new organization and making money off of every one of our black bodies here, and we are not getting the money, the benefit, or even the, the, the credit for creating that. So have you codified the blueprint that you just spoke about and memorialize that in a written document that can be shared with the other agency? The answer to that question is no. Um, it's nothing that, that exists in writing, um, but more than happy to sit down with any chapter president, e either any regional VP or anyone that wants to have that discussion uh, because we have a formula that works. Again, we competed, my first year as president, we competed as a medium-sized chapter with 25 nationally paid members. That same chapter now has a total roster of 186 members, 164 nationally paid members. So we're doing something in South Florida that works. So I'll be more than happy to sit down and have that discussion with anyone that wants to sit and, and figure out how can we grow our chapter. Thank you so much for that. Chief Hall. Yeah. So when we talk about growing our chapters, um, you know, Noble is doing some amazing things already. And that is why we're seeing uh, the growth in, in Noble uh, up, up over 4,000. So right now, uh, we need to continue to focus on our HBCUs. We need to make sure that we are creating Noble Collegiate chapters to ensure that we are introducing law enforcement to those individuals who did not wake up one morning and say, I, my, my dream is to be in law enforcement because they're, they are becoming fewer and farther in between. But we need to allow the work that we do to speak for us. Because much like Kevin is a, a, an Omega Sci-Fi, I'm Delta Sigma Theta, we Delta don't even to beg people to join our sororities and fraternities. You know why? Because the work that we have done over the years has spoken for us. So when people see us and they know what we do, they want to be a part of that. And that is what we need to do in Noble, continue to do. Um, and that me at the helm of at sec second vice president is pushing to continue to enter into those relationships, partnerships, and into those programs where these millennials and zillennials are seeing the work that we are doing and how it is impacting our communities and growing our African-American community and bridging the gaps between police and African-American communities. And they will want to be a part of us because that is what we're, we're, it's all about, is making sure that the work that we are doing is speaking for us and that we are doing the work of the people. Because this is God's work. All of this is purpose. And we have a purpose here. And that's why I believe I'm here running for second vice president because it's a purpose. Not because I need another title on my resume. My curriculum vitae is set. Pull it up. I don't need another thing on there. But right now, I believe that I am uniquely positioned to ensure that we are growing our organization, that we are doing the work um, that the people need in this country, that we are ready to fight the DeSantis's um, and the Trumps of the world, that we are showing up to the table with proven leaders, with the acumen, with the battle-tested reputation to say, I've been there, I've done that. And if you have not led in law enforcement, you can't tell me what is the best way to lead. So I believe we need to be positioned in that and ready for that battle. 
that's coming. And when people see that we are on the battlefield, that we are doing the work, they will want to join. And once we have those collegiate chapters and sponsors ensuring that we can get those individuals paid uh, for those who can't afford it, we will continue to grow our organization. Thank you for that. This is our second VP candidate forum. What I'm interested in, and I'm gonna just bring it up, and it was not on their list. You know, we did talk about these like presidential debates. I got them their information. So if they don't come prepared, that's on them. But this one I'm gonna throw off the cuff because recently I found out that PERF, the Police Executive Research Forum, they got a grant to work with HBCUs. This is a predominantly white male organization um, operating out of D.C. and Boston. Why are we not as noble? Why weren't we in those rooms conversations? And you may not know the answer to this, and we may need to think about this as an organization, but there should never be a conversation where there is a grant given out to work with an HBCU and noble is not part of that conversation. And I'm going to challenge each of you, whoever makes it to it, to, to be in that and to challenge those grant makers and grant givers that we are first consideration. We don't come in last. You don't give us the leftovers. You don't give us the money that can't, you know, that you couldn't give out to somebody else. So think about how we engage and why we might not have been in the conversation for a grant to work with HBCUs. Um, I, I think I started this by saying that there are conversations taking place in this country and when you are not in the room, you can't participate in the conversation. You can't compete. And you only get in the room with relationships. I have those relationships to get in the room. And I can guarantee you, if I am elected as second vice president, those relationships will have noble at the table. Because oftentimes, when I'm in uh, walking some of the halls of Congress and having these conversations, when I'm at Harvard University and having this conversation, I'm the only one who looks like me who's able to speak to law enforcement. So if I'm not in the room, Noble's not in the room. And so as long as we continue to not have people who have the relationships in the room, we will continue to be excluded from the conversation. I too, uh, like the chief, I too have those uh, relationships. I told you I've served on the board uh, for five years um, I specifically remember sitting next to Christopher Ray, who was the director of the FBI, and the question came up when they were discussing about uh, their minority recruitment. Uh, it was at that time that I planted the seed with the director of the FBI that, hey, look, you have you already have a partnership with Noble. Noble, at the time, we had 60 chapters. Noble has chapters in cities that have traditional HBCUs. And it was at that time that that I suggested to him that you need to partner up with those local chapters to get you onto those campuses so that you can fill those slots that you're looking to fill. So I've already done that type of work. You know, I have those relationships. I've traveled internationally, you know, representing this uh, this organization outside of the country. And so, like I said before, I planted that seed with uh, and was working with their staff you know, to try to fill their minority uh, spots. And, and and so, and I agree with the chief, you know, we have to have people at that table. And this organization is full of talented people that at any moment, the national president can reach out to an individual and say, hey, I can't make it, but I need you to attend, or I'm going and I need you to come with me. So we have that talent in the room and we have those individuals that have those relationships. It's not just on the national president, 
him or herself to have those relationships by themselves. So I've been known to challenge, and I know our executive director is around here somewhere. Uh, I just don't want to be kicked out of Noble after the end of this. But I've been known to challenge that we as Noble are called by all the administrations, whether it's Obama's administration, Trump's administration, or the current Biden administration, they're often coming to us saying, we are interested in directorships um, and placing good people in directors of these agencies, whether it's COPS, whether it's BJA, whether it's any of the other ones that we work with. However, to date, regardless of the number of names, we have not had a single noble member that has been recommended and appointed as a director. And don't come at me with Ron Davis because Ron was already up for U.S. Marshal before because Ron is all things Ron anyway, right? Why is it that we can be called, that we have relationships with the president, we have relationships with senators, we have relationships with everything, but when it comes to filling these positions, nobles called into the room to testify as the authority, especially when they want a black person on there on screen, when they want somebody who's that data point, but we don't have any positions there. How would you leverage your presidency to address these type of issues? You know, again, I think as the national president, we have to use the full weight, you know, of that position to sit down with these individuals that are responsible and that can be responsible for making these appointments and just have that discussion, that heart-to-heart discussion with them. And just, um, you know, by pointing out the talent that we have within the organization. I mean, it's 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 using the full weight of Noble. You know, you're talking about almost 4,500 members and asking them those tough questions. Why haven't a Noble member or why hasn't a Noble member been selected, you know, to serve in some of these roles and point out, you know, the, the, the Chiefs Hall and some of the other Chiefs that we have, uh, whether it's on a, uh, a municipal level, county sheriff's level, or some of the folks that are partners that we have on the federal level. I mean, we, the talent is there. The talent is there. We just need to have that hard conversation with people and ask them why and have them explain why not. There you go. And I think there was some major CEO of, of one organization who said, I just can't find black talent. I'm like, come here, podcast, black arm of the law. We got some talent for you. Go ahead, Chief Hall. So I think, um, you know, Kevin's, Kevin's right in, in that the conversations need to be had, but these conversations have already been had. They've been had for several years. Um, I've had the uh, honor and the distinction to be able to sit at the major city chiefs table. And I can tell you, major city chiefs don't ask. They sit the directors of the FBI and the DEA in a round table, and they say, here's what we want. Here's who we are. Here's what we bring to the table, and here's what we want. And as the second vice president, that would be uh, my position to, to push, you know, to the president and once sitting in that seat. We're not asking. We're an African-American organization with the, the top talent in this country. And we're no longer asking. You, um, Kevin said he talked to the director and he's asked and, and recommended that we have Af- African-Americans in the federal government. We've been having this conversation since I came into Noble in 2008. And they haven't grown in the federal government at all. So I'm saying how long we're going to sit and talk about it? How long we're going to ask? Are we going to sit them in a round table and we're going to say this is what we want? And if we don't get what we want, then we're going to use our position to ensure that you don't have what it is that you need with these partnerships. And that is how the business is done. Thank you for that. So listen to this. In 1989, the DOJ published the following. 
evidence indicates that minority officers still face discrimination in duty assignments and in promotions. In 2023, the New Jersey State Police have been accused of workplace violations by 17 current and former troopers who were alleged in law, uh, lawsuits they experienced discrimination, retaliation, and harassment because they belong to minority groups. Allegation in a law firm's document cited the following and shared with Newsweek that in the New Jersey State Department, Police Department, it will promote white men over qualified minorities despite their histories of discipline, DUI, sexual harassment, etc. So we're talking at the larger levels of how we might influence it. But if I'm a noble member and my, I myself have experienced it when I've been a target by an organization and there were no voices backing me, how might you push that down to the lower level when we know our officers, our members, those 4,000 strong are experiencing harassment, discrimination. They're being overlooked for promotions, assignment changes when they're the most qualified. How do we bring our voices to bear, not only at the highest levels, but those persons that we say we care about that are coming into our organization um, at every level? So, so I can tell you, um, as, a, as a sitting chief um, and a deputy chief in, in, in two major metropolitan cities, oftentimes these issues are uh, bigger than just uh, the, the chief or a supervisor allowing this to happen. Um, usually there's union conversations in that there are uh, uh, laws or general orders on the books that they use uh, to weed you out. Um, but one of the things that, that I believe that we and Noble have to do is when we see these things happen, we have to step in and have a voice and let them know that we know that this is happening and bring this to the attention of those individuals because we do have a voice and we do have power. Um, as a, a large African-American law enforcement entity and make sure that we leverage those relationships that we have in Congress, in the White House, in our local and, and, and national uh, uh, governor's offices to ensure that we change this at the post. So, so one of the things we have to do is, is make sure that, we want, that we're aware of the conversation. We may need to create uh, a committee or create a liaison that deals with that to bring those things to our attention in real time so we can actually reach out and deal with them and then work alongside of other policy uh, makers to ensure that in 21st century best practices, what does your general order say about promotions and what that should look like and challenge that at the Department of Justice level. And that's why I say those relationships are important because when you have the relationships, you can get in to have the conversation um, and to ensure that these things are brought to the forefront uh, because they're just bigger than just um, we're going to go in and we're going to tell you, you better promote that person because usually um, these individuals are covered by the rules and the regulation and precedent that have been set in their organizations. And so um, again, I go back to uh, it's the fight. It's having partners uh, fighting alongside of you. It's being able to pick up the phone and ensure that the issues that you're fighting, you're facing, those unions that you're fighting, uh, that you have the strength of government and the Department of Justice and, uh, you know, uh, our, our entire government as a whole to support us in making those decisions and making those changes. I would only add to that, and I, I agree wholeheartedly with what the chief has said. I would only add that, you know, if need be, maybe there's a need for Noble um, to look at maybe adding another ad hoc committee that's solely re uh, responsible for that. Um, 
probably need to reach out to our partners in media and then identify these people uh, that are responsible for this stuff and hold them accountable because no one likes exposure. And so once we start to expose these things that they're, that they're happening, put the pressure on our partners, uh, you know, at DOJ and the Congress and everywhere else to ensure that these things uh, cease to exist and then hold the people that are accountable for it, hold them responsible. Thank you for that. And then talk about media. This podcast is brought to you by Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. We're going to wrap this up with two more questions. We appreciate your time here with us. So one of them, just come right on and ask you, how have you benefited from being in Noble, and why would someone else want to get involved? For me, it's been the, um, it's been the relationships. It's been the mentoring. And it's funny that, that, that I'm actually competing against my sister. Uh, we are truly. I remember my very first conference. Chief Hall was, I'm going to plug her right now. I was actually blown away by the number of African-American chiefs that existed in this country. I didn't realize that we had so many. And Chief Hall was one of the first people that actually, uh, that I made contact with that gave me her cell phone number. She's from Detroit at the time. I was from South Florida. And she became a mentor of mine. And so I would say that I've benefited from that type of mentorship and then also serving in the different leadership capacities that I've served in, watching past presidents, how they have uh, performed uh, this organization. I see another one of my mentors just walked up. Uh, and just being able to have that conversation with these type of individuals when you're actually going through something at your own department. You know, whether because a lot of times you don't want to talk to people within your own agency, but sometimes you don't know who you can trust. And so to be able to pick up the phone and reach out to these mentors around the country, you know, when you think about it, if there were not a noble, a lot of these chiefs and a lot of us noble members wouldn't know each other throughout the United States. I wouldn't know that there's a uh, Cedric Alexander that exists wherever he's working, that there's a, a chief hall that there's a Chief Bear of Bumpers or a Pat Labotte or whatever. So for me, it's been a, a, a an enjoyable experience. You know, I talk about Noble all the time. Everyone that knows me knows the love that I have for this organization, and that's why I've been dedicated. Um, and that dedication, I ran for national second vice president last year. Came up short. But because of my love for the organization, I'm back at it again because of that love. And so for me, it's been the mentorship is being able to reach out and touch these people to help guide you along the way and, and help steer you through some of those troubled waters. So it is, it's really a family atmosphere. And before Chief Hall jumps in there, again, I'm a fan of folks because my sister friends that are my chiefs, they have been my rock. When I've been able to just text another sister, um, Chief Hall was one of those, Chief Outlaw in Philadelphia, CJ Davis has been one of those people, Carmen Best. Um, I can go on and on with those sisters who've done nothing more but say, I see you, I see you, and you can do it, and you can be the best version of yourself. In Pittsburgh, I had people like Marita Bryant, who was my assistant chief, a former noble one, and I just, you just did that plug for uh, Dr. Cedric Alexander, who just strolled on up here, <laughs> just strolled on up here. Chief Hall, talk to me. Okay, so you stole my thunder, because that was, that was one of the things that I was going to say. But um, just let me say this. Um, I came into this organization as a young sergeant. And when I tell you on the backs 
of this organization, they built a bridge for me to become a deputy chief and then uh, the chief of the ninth largest city in the United States of America. It was the mentoring, it was the coaching, it was the love. It was the responsibility that they gave to me uh, to, to ensure that not only as I, that as I climb, I reach back and grab someone up. This organization is a, 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 a reflection of African-American excellence. And so looking around at the men and women in this organization, I was able to see what I wanted to be, you know, because if you can't see it, you can't be it. And so I was able to look around and see the greatness and I was, was, was inspired to shoot for that level of greatness. And everyone in this organization that I came in contact with ensured that I had the greatness that I was looking for. And where I came up short, they ensured that they poured into me. Um, I'm just going to build on off what Chief Brackney said. When I was in the city of Dallas, um, it was challenging because I was the first woman and I was black and I was in Texas. And they didn't want no black woman. They didn't want a woman and they didn't want nobody black. Um, but while I was there, I was able to stay for three and a half years through the grace of God and through my sisters and my brothers. They would call me on a regular basis. And I see Travis, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out sponsorships because Travis is from Niche and we met here at Noble. And you say, what does Noble do for you? So he's a sponsor. Um, and it's not just about having relationships so, you know, we can, he can get what he needs and we can get what we need or, you know, get a product. Um, we didn't, I didn't have any products, uh, from niche Dallas didn't have any products, but he texts me at least once a week because of the challenges that I was, was having. Um, and when I was into it with my mayor, he would send me, you know, just a prayer or thinking of you or you are awesome. Um, and I got that from the women in this organization, the men in this organization and sponsors in this organization. And I can tell you, it helped me get through. It helped me do what I need to do. Because the, uh, what I always heard is it doesn't matter how difficult it is, the work that needs to be done fighting for African-Americans in a racist city, in a uh, black city, doesn't matter. We have to do what we have to do. Uh, and they helped me do that. And that I will always love Noble, always be dedicated to Noble, always work in Noble. I always have, I always will. And I will always continue to ensure that people are a part of Noble. When I was in the Detroit Police Department, um, at the, at the uh, CEO symposium in Detroit, our first assistant chief, our former first assistant chief said, you know, yeah, I'm gonna uh, plug Chief Hall right now because she made us join Noble. I made so many people join Noble. And I, uh, when I was in Dallas, constantly pushing people to join Noble. And as a result, I've made chiefs. Uh, some of the people who've worked for me have gone on to organizations to be chiefs. And they're here at this conference with their members because Noble has always been um, in the center of my heart and it will continue to be. So that is what Noble is to me. And I want to make sure that others have that same uh, opportunity. So this is the podcast, but if this was a video log, there isn't a dry eye with the three of us. Like we're all tearing up. I'd like to say it was allergies or eye surgery, but you know what? Um, it's real. It is true that exactly that's how I have benefited. And again, um, as the former chief in Charlottesville, Virginia, after the night, the right rally, assistant from the north, the only black female in my agency with 90 percent white male. I was not welcomed in with with arms. Um, the whole Tiki Torch thing that was occurring in my own agency and directed at me. 
So the love I felt, again, all three of us are tearing up um, up in this place. So I'm going to just let us get on up out of here, and I just will let, give you the opportunity, Major, if you want to go first. We have a huge audience here. As you head into voting tomorrow, what are your final thoughts? I would only ask the members to, um, you know, to take a look at my bio, take a look at my resume. I've been a part of this organization since 2008. Uh, I've done the heavy lifting for Noble. I've done the, the quote unquote John Henry type work for Noble. I've helped grow this organization. Uh, that's evident in the, uh, the South Florida chapter that I belong to. I've served uh, 14 years consecutively without a break in service. Uh, and just continue to look at the things that I've done. And, and when you think about, you know, who do you want your next um, leader to be, you know, just take a look at my body of work and let it speak for itself and, and, and the love that I have for this organization. And I, I said this yesterday, you know, I sit before you as a as a, as a noble servant uh, and as a committed servant of this organization. But that love and that commitment that I have for, for noble is evidence in the uh, the body of work that I've put together. Um, you know, just talk around to some of the speak with some of the South Florida chapter members, you know, and say, hey, tell me about this guy and see what they have to say. Um, I've traveled internationally representing Noble, and um, I ran for this position last year. I came up short, but the love that I have for this organization, I'm back at it again. So I would only ask the voters to, when you go to make your selection, you know, think about, that body of work and say, you know what, here's someone that's been here. He's done the work. You know, we see that. And, you know, we think that he is the next leader for this time, for this position to continue to push this organization forth. Because like I said before, dedicated to the growth of Noble, we're celebrating 50 years. I want to ensure that for the next 50 years, that there's a Noble here for my children, as well as your children. I thank you for that. Thank you. I, I, too, have served Noble since 2008 in a multitude of capacities. Um, but I'll leave you with what I brought you with, what I, what I started with. If we can't vote for where we are today. We have to vote for where we're going. And if we want to be ready for the fight ahead, if we want to be uniquely positioned to ensure that Noble has the relationships and the partnerships for the fight ahead, uh, that we are in a position to bring on additional sponsorships, build non-traditional relationships, and be able to walk into higher uh, institution of learning uh, that are Ivy League and be a part of conversations where real decisions are made in this country. If we want to be in that room, then Renee Hall is your candidate and your selection for the second vice president. We have to make sure that we have the individual at the table when the conversations are had that are relevant in law enforcement, that are still an individual that is recognized in this profession as someone who has done the work, a leader, a true leader, uh, and is battle-tested. And if that's what you're looking for, you're looking for Renee Hall for the second vice president. The second vice president ascends to the presidency. And when you're in that seat, you have to be prepared and have the acumen to be able to deal with the individuals that are in that space. And I say, if you want that, if you want Noble in the next 
uh, conversation in the White House at Harvard University, at Yale University. If you want us in the room so we can ensure that we're having the right conversations, that we are not left out and that PERF is not getting the grants that are, are designed for African-Americans, then Renee Hall is your choice for second vice president because we have a battle ahead, people. If we don't believe that the Supreme Court decision that has, has, has set this world on fire is not going to reach law enforcement, again, we are asleep at the wheel. I pray and humbly ask that you would vote for Renee Hall for second vice president. So I want to thank Noble for sponsoring this podcast and elevating it. I want to thank our two candidates, Major Granville. I want to thank you, Chief Hall. I am your host, Dr. Rochelle Brackney, and this is Black Arm of the Law podcast. Please tell someone about the show. Y'all tell everybody else about everything. Y'all on Instagram following Kim Kardashian. Follow us at Black Arm of the Law. Subscribe, rate, comment on Twitter, Instagram, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get yours. This is the end of my shift. I am 1042. I will catch you next week. The Black Arm of the Law podcast is hosted by Rashal Brackney-Wheelock. Executive producers, Ken Johnson, Steve Tompkins, and Rashal Brackney-Wheelock. Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, the Mean Old Line Media app, or where you get your podcast. Follow Black Arm of the law at blk arm of the law on ig and x follow the mean o-line media podcast network on ig at mean o-line media get the mean o-line media app in the app store and google play for more great podcasts the black arm of the law podcast is a mean o-line media production